to the pilot episode of sequels and reboots. Is that what we're going with sequels and reboots, or did you have Sequel Factory? I I I don't know. Like, I'm not a huge fan of Sequel Factory because the um, the market's pretty crowded with factories at this stage. Well, no, I mean it's just it's just one big. There's just one big factory, and it's for monsters. Mm-hmm. And basically, uh, I'm not. I think as a new podcaster, sorry, I'm going to turn down my mic. As as a new podcaster, uh, stepping to the McElroys as the first thing you do would seem to be somewhat suicidal. Mm-hmm. It's like fighting so, a plane. Yeah, I don't know. So I was going with like uh, I don't know, like the pitching room or or something. Um, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll get it going in episode one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> but here's now... our discussion live on air i so i'm peter flynn and you are my squire adam, adam brody adam brody i was just I, I i gave a pregnant pause to see if you would dispute anything of what i was saying and i realized that you weren't no that doesn't you were like no, fine with I, being I mean, my liege i mean squire doesn't squire is about what i am frankly at this point in time i didn't say like butler or anything well, no, no, I'm not. I'm not your butler. Because you'd I'm, be a terrible I'm, butler. Well, yeah. Wait, no, hold on. I would make a fucking fantastic butler. You're not allowed to uh, demean my butler credentials. I need like, oh, were there? I need to like look up any historical evidence of were there any fighting butlers, like ones who like, you know, they bring you breakfast in bed and they and and they and they polish your house and they and they they, they manage the the workings of things, but also at the drop of a hat they would get out a sword and just fuck shit up for you. Did Almost that ever exist? Probably not. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like kings. Kings had a lot of weird servants, and well, they said there was there was a guy who was in charge of the king's toilet. Mm. So, and he was probably a knight. He was probably pretty good with a sword. So like, could fight. Know, all medieval people were good with swords. They had to be because otherwise they get killed by someone. So, <laughs> what shit time? Yeah, right. I want. Yeah, I... yeah. Peter Flynn uh, does not like the medieval period. I do. I do. I just find it hilarious just how awful it is. Um, <laughs> I would really like. I would really like a butler like the one in Tomb Raider, the one just like he just wakes up and has like a a shotgun under his under his bed. Ah. That's a, that's a good butler. Um, <laughs> so Brody, we've known each other for a few years now, and yeah. we talk about films a lot. Most of which are ones that are real and exist, yeah. and you know you've heard you've heard the narrative. You've heard like people lamenting, "Oh, everything's a sequel. Everything's a reboot now. Everything, you know, nothing, no, no intellectual property is allowed to die. Everything's part of a franchise." And we thought, what if we took that one step further and colonized things that aren't even real yet? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I realized today that effectively what our podcast is is um the complaint that everything is a sequel and our reply is but what if that was good what if more things were sequels? yeah exactly <laughs> what what if more things were sequels so yeah this and is... prequels and adaptations yeah this is a show where we pitch each other uh, a, a well-known property uh, a marketable brand and then challenge the other to give us you know give us a treatment give us a, a pitch of of what the next iteration of that thing could be mm-hmm. um and you know, it kind of struck me earlier that what we're doing is basically pretentious fan fiction. But <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna get to the stage where like we're just, we're, we're just immune to it. And and there's gonna be one day where I'm just talking about uh, like 
Voldemort doing bondage stuff with Winnie the Pooh, and you're just like nodding, like, "Yep, yep, great ideas, yeah, keep them coming." You you realize that's our life already, though. I don't. Talk- I, I, I I don't I don't want to. Uh, uh, Have I, you? I feel I- like I feel like I just. Um, fuck! I, I did the opposite of yes anding you. I can't remember what that is. Have you ever um, written fan fiction like in your earlier days? Did you ever dip into that? I can't believe I've never asked you this. No, I've never. I never wrote fan fiction. You're I, always, always above that. I'm, well, no, ugh, no, Jesus, I, I can't stay. I, I, I think people who write fan fiction, people who write fan fiction, have a leg up on me. Um, I always think this, like, uh, every everyone who like spends their teenage years writing, uh, stories in which Harry Potter, Harry Potter, like, um, gives Ron Weasley a good dicking or. I, or when they get a bit older, then they move on to stories about how Will and Will and Hannibal from the show <laughs> I Hannibal say Will and Grace, <laughs> Will and Grace, I uh, from the show Hannibal open up a cake shop. Or it's, isn't it funny that it, it swaps over? Like, you know, like like ch- children's properties get really sexy, and then when people do fan fiction of adult, like violent or sexualized adult properties, they go backwards the other way and go way more innocent. I think my favorite one is a, is one my friend told me about uh, where it's just a cookering show. Mm-hmm. I think it's like Great British Bake Off. Nice, a cookering show. Pardon? A cookering show. Sounds great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of them doing the cookerings. Um, shut up. And, <laughs> and, and, and Hannibal is like a judge a judging uh, one of Will's cakes. And presumably they have sex. I, I, I mean, I assume so. But that's where the sex is off screen, just implied. That is stereotyping of fan fiction, and oh well, yeah. Basically, what I'm saying is I'm kind of jealous of the people who uh, spent their teenage years writing fan fiction because it means, you know, when they get to adulthood, they're actually good writers. They're like proficient. Me, I wrote um, who just spent his <laughs> teenage years writing nine billion uh, prologues to fantasy novels that never got written, <laughs> that never even manifested. I wrote a little bit of Doctor Who fan fiction when I was like seventeen. And I think even 17 is a bit old. But it wasn't... I, I'm not even sure if I want to count it as fan fiction because it wasn't like... It didn't feature David Hennant or Matt Smith or anyone. It was just... Um, it was it was my own iteration and my own story. Like, everything was my own except for the premise. So, I, like, even then, I don't think I could lean into the idea of just, like, this is completely consequenceless. I'm just, like, uh, playing with my own brain right now. You know, it was it still had that intent. Like, oh, yeah, the BBC's going to pick this up and I'll be king of all writing. Huh? And then Stephen Moffat scooped you to the. I mean, to be if you checked that your that your uh, fan fiction writing is still there, that Stephen Moffat has not. Um. Cre- all right. All right. Uh, I'm not gonna kid you. I'm not. I'm not gonna kid you. You know the River Song plotline that has her with that weird book that's shaped like the TARDIS, and it's got like everything she knows about the Doctor written in it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did that first. I'm just saying. <laughs> that was that was in the like pilot episode that I wrote. And it was for a way less stupid reason. Even 17-year-old me could do it better. <laughs> Steve, Steve Moffat crept in through uh, your bedroom window. Or, like, I, I imagine dressed up like a stereotypical burglar in the white stripy... <laughs> With a bag. With a big bag that said swag on it. Yeah, exactly. Oh Picked my god, that would that would bring him journals. down. If you revealed that his uh, his plot points were stolen from, a te- from teenage fan fiction... Yeah, you show you show it to him, and he just crumbles into dust. That's his that's his weakness. That's his spell. 
Nah, I mean, no, I just make him get stronger. He just, he just eat. I think maybe he's like a monster made out of fan fiction. Maybe that's just the thing. Ugh. It's like Stephen Stephen Moffat is like a golem. Um, they, uh, we're still doing this. Arch- we did Arch- we did this on Arch- our Arch- old Arch- podcast like three years ago, and it's, Arch- <laughs> we're still ragging on Stephen Moffat. <laughs> came to life, and it turned out to be Stephen Moffat. <laughs> Well, actually, funny, funny you say the monster that I included in this Doctor Who pilot was, like, made out of books. <laughs> so you're nailing it so far. <laughs> All right. Um, anyway, we should do our podcast. Yeah, yeah, so what? Yeah, we should get to work. We're already distracted. What are what are the films that we've chosen for today? I think we've gone a little bit interesting. We've, we've gone about as obscure as we could in that okay. these aren't big money things that we've chosen here. Yeah, because we want literally no one to listen to <laughs> start out small um well you've given me the magnificent magnificent seven i didn't know if you'd given me the magnificent seven or seven seven samurai so i wasn't wasn't sure of which one i should uh rewatch. right so the precise nature of my challenge to you pete was to uh because the magnificent seven is as all people know an adaptation of uh, Akira Kurosawa. So Sergio Leone's The Magnificent Seven. Sergio Leone? Ad- yep, definitely. Uh, <laughs> definitely an adaptation of uh, Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai, or a remake thereof, but transposed to another cultural context. So it goes from being about samurais to being about cowboys. Yeah. And what I wanted you to do, Pete, was to remake the Magnificent Seven and incorporate within it another cross-cultural uh, shift, uh, and one that would be like more uh, approachable for our hip teen modern audience. Yeah, I mean hip teen. You never mentioned hip teen. Shit. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's definitely not Sergio Leone. It's about as far from a spaghetti western as you can get. All right, wait, I, I could have sworn it was Sergio Leone. Oh, fuck. No, um, Sergio Leone's The Dollars Trilogy. Right, so revisiting Magnificent Seven. I, I I didn't, for one, I didn't know if I wanted to look at Magnificent Seven or Seven Samurai initially, but Seven Samurai's three hours long, so, <laughs> so I went with Magnificent Seven. And I was so pleasantly surprised by, by just, like, it, it's very clear that uh, Magnificent Seven is more of a a structure than a specific story. Mm-hmm. This idea of like a, you know, a, a ragtag group being brought together to, to protect like the, uh, the sanctity and innocence of a, of a certain place, not people like a place. It has to be kind of like geographical. And that I found, I found really cool and, and freaking, Oh my goodness. Um, Yul Brynan, the guy, who, the guy who plays the, you know, the main guy who's like, uh, pulling everyone together and, 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 and speaking to them all. He is, such a great lead um Ooh. in in that he does stoic in a in in such an engaging way stoic for me has become this kind of like weird non-character trait in the, in that it's used to describe kind of usually like just older boring brooding male characters like liam neeson sort of deal mm-hmm. and this guy just does it so well because he emphasizes it on he emphasizes experience and wisdom rather than being like just troubled mm-hmm so he ends up just being the coolest, the, like the coolest cucumber in the bunch because, like, 
there's like scenes where like a uh, the the youngest character he's not being let on the team and he comes like barging into their bar like with a with a gun and he's drunk and he could, like could shoot anyone any moment and he's like completely cool not because he's like not because he's a badass and he doesn't care but because mm-hmm. he's seen this shit before he understands people and he's empathetic so he's just like calm and it, he's such a refreshing great protagonist to have. Um, Steve McQueen's also great. And Eli yep. Wallach is a fantastic villain. Um, but I was really interested in the, uh, like, I don't know. There's a, there's a weird racialized, uh, narrative to it that I actually wasn't expecting. Okay. Like the first scene, the way that, um, Yul Brynner's character is, is, uh, is introduced. Uh, is... His, his name is Yul Brenner. I, I, I cannot I thought it was... continue allowing him to call what? him Yul Brynner. I thought it was Brynner. What's Brynner? Oh, you, you said Sergio Leone, so you can get out. All right. So the way that he's introduced is is that he's this um he's this guy who, and he's found a um he's noticed that this man hasn't had a burial in a town and he insists that this man is going to have a, like a decent burial and have a funeral but but like the town is like its infrastructure is so broken down that no one will no one will do it for him and he finds out this man is actually an American and that's why um like people are, are refusing and like his first initial act of heroism is like taking this man's body to a, a, a grave site so he can actually bury him properly even when like people are shouting like Indian lover at him and stuff like that so it's just like what a like a great noble introduction this guy has and um one thing I found funny is like, I, I I figured like this happens in the in the old in the 1960s version and the remake is the and it happens in a million other films as well because it's it's just like a very very established trope at this stage is a character you know, deeming everyone you're all crazy. You're never gonna win. I was a good guy, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ride off into the distance now because you're ne- This is never gonna succeed. I don't want to throw my life away. And they ride off, and you're like, oh gee, well, when will they come back? And you know, in the in the newer one, I think that happens with fucking Ethan Hawke. I think he like you know he de- he deems it a, a lost cause and he rides away. And he's like, nah, fuck this, you guys. And because it's a modern film, you know immediately like, okay, there we go. He's gonna. He's going to come back and the film's going to make a big deal of it and it's going to be uh, really triumphant and he's going to turn the tide of the battle and stuff. Yeah. And obviously in the new one that happens and the movie dedicates, I don't know, two or three minutes to his return, he like ends up shooting loads of bad guys and taking them out and really helping the team because he had the courage to return, yay. And then <laughs> it happens in the in the 1960 version, but <laughs> it's like they didn't have quite enough awareness of, of tropes back then or like, or like the trope wasn't codified. So mm-hmm. they don't really know how to manage it. Where they, so obviously this guy, one of the Magnificent Seven, when they're they they, they seem like they're outnumbered, and this 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 villain's gonna like descend upon this village and just and just take whatever he wants. Uh, this guy rides off, and he's like, "You're all crazy. You're all gonna die." And he rides off, and you're like, "Okay, he's gonna come back." I don't know, in twenty minutes or something when the when the action scene starts. Action scene begins about one minute later, uh, and they're all fighting. They're all getting shot. They're losing. And then this guy just rides in on his horse and he's like, you remember me? I, I, I said you had my back all along. I'm going to help you. And he just gets shot immediately. He doesn't do anything. And I, I just burst out laughing. Like, it, is that a joke? Is that like a parody moment? But obviously, I don't think in, in 1960, I don't think people had the narrative language to realize why that's really funny. If that, if that moment occurred like post 1980 or something. I think it would definitely be played for laughs. I was just amazed at how, like, in that version, the fact him having the courage to come back is like 
that is the narrative beat. It's not him having the courage to come back and then killing a bunch of bad guys. Like, he has the courage to come back and he rides in heroically and gets shot immediately and dies. <laughs> but, like, like as a, as a modern viewer, I find that really funny. <laughs> All right. Okay. And there's also and there's also just shit where just like <coughs> it's for some reason like technical things back in the sixties just like can be so much more impressive. Like there's a bit where yeah. I... yeah. So is there a lot of um is there a lot of stuff that's very period appro- that's very period limited about the Magnificent Seven? What do you mean by period limited though? Um, I mean like that as as in about uh, sort of nineteen sixties limited. So, um they don't quite have the visual language of the return yet. And you're about to mention just technical details of 1960s cinema. And I was just wondering, are these core to the experience of mm. the Magnificent Seven? Just, just in terms of sort of directing you towards... I mean, it's got, it's got the classical Western issue of just... How you're doing your remake. Let's show everyone everywhere the characters are going like if a character goes anywhere you see them getting on their horses and riding up a hill and then up another hill and then over a peak and then like down here and it's just like eats up so much time so that's like obviously an element of the times and then there's like but there's like other elements where like stunts and things just have this amazing weight like there's a bit where a guy just straight up just jacks a horse just just grand theft autos it and just like pull just pulls a man off pulls the man and the horse down to the ground and then as the horse is getting up, he makes sure that he's on the horse instead and just runs off with it. And that's all one take. And it's just shit like that where they would just like approach it head on. It's fantastic. But like, I don't know. I think in me, in terms of me trying to remake it, I haven't considered um, like elements of, 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 of 60s sensibility. I think I'm... Tr- what I've done is, <laughs> I think, go a bit larger and taken a broader narrative aspect and try to make things a bit epic. I'm really not sure how this will turn out. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, All right, so lay it on me. You you mentioned earlier, and this is a I think this is a really interesting way to uh, conceive of these films that these films are more a structure than they are a a narrative yeah. or, or or like a, a character focused exploration. Yeah. Even so. So. First of all, where have you decided to so <laughs> to the structure? Um, when you when you initially said like remake remake the Magnificent Seven, like use that structure in another setting, another cultural um, uh, area. My first reaction, my initial hack brain was just like, "How about in space?" And then I gave up that after five minutes. Um, and then I thought, "What if I did it with ants and grasshoppers instead?" And then thought, "No, that's weird." Yeah. <laughs> um, so what I've settled on is a strange kind of near future post apocalypse no like shitty incremental apocalypse like the one we're living in right now sort of thing like set in the year 2030 Okay like um, like um all right, all right, think 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 Logan think like shit's fucked and we're on the edge of uh, of everyone just being like wandering bands of nobodies but there's still like some infrastructure left Okay, no, I I get where you're coming from. Because I I wanted... Everything... Hold on, Pete. So, like, everything is, like, sort of very sad and melancholy. But, I mean, in Logan, the real world still exists. And Mm -hmm. there's uh, still, like, a government and stuff. Would this be the case? This this is, like, right on the edge of the fall sort of shit. Oh, cool. All right. 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Like when you mentioned like the teen market, I'm like, oh, I'm not sure what they'll think of this. But although maybe they, maybe they'll be going through this literally when this hits hits theaters. So we'll see. Um, uh, okay. So an- another question: uh, What is the fall? Did you consider like what the fall, uh, what the nature of the fall is going to be? It's climate change. Okay. All right. I made. Uh, I've it... made this so topical. <laughs> <laughs> right. So bear with me. The right. year is 2030. Okay. A near constant stream of natural disasters along the East Coast, uh, combined with rising sea levels, has left the federal government scattered into a number of desperate municipalities across the United States. All right. All um, right. So, but then the continued presence of a global economy means some uh, some corporations are, are still unable to carry out formerly civic duties um, in on their own terms. And this has plunged the United States into like this large-scale, technologically-infused form of Wild West-style anarcho-capitalism. All right. Are you with me? So I want, I want, I, I, want, I wanted to get, I wanted to get like the the rampant every man for himself sort of thing um, that westerns mm-hmm. have, but also have this like slightly futuristic element. So think maybe Neil Blomkamp-y. Um, I want, I want machines. This is what I'm thinking. I want, I want big machines. Are we, th- are we thinking, okay, so we're thinking big machines, uh, company towns, uh, is there like a Robocop-ish element uh, to this? Well, I don't, I, nothing's going to be sleek. I think, I think all machinery right. will, will exist, um, for the purpose it's serving right now, but you know that nothing new is coming because every, everything is like in the very near future is going to be fucked. There's going to be no, like, uh, there's going to be nowhere near enough infrastructure to actually, uh, for development. So any, uh, any machinery or technology that exists then is like on its last legs being implemented as like a last resort. All right. Okay. And, and just to check, uh, uh, you are setting this in an urban area? No, uh, I'm, I'm setting this in Arizona. Mm -hmm. So it's still going to have like a slight, uh, Western look, but coupled with, uh, with like a, post-apocalyptic worn out climate change ridden um disaster aesthetic all right neat neat so one of the duties that a uh that a private that a private corporation is carrying out oh and the private the company i've I've named it uh, there's a corporation called what was it oh new patriots new patriots construction npc uh, right. And one of the one of the tasks that they're carrying out, and they would like to still fund, is the completion of a border wall between the U.S. and Mexico. This long, uh, this long forgotten, uh, shitty, um, shitty task that has been left behind by a previous administration. <laughs> who, who knows which? Um, but with the private sector fund, with private sector funding and mounting hostility towards like uh, a deluge of refugees from the near in uninhabitable south, uh, the wall is almost finished. And there's two construction fronts that are set to meet in Arizona. But there's only one thing in their way, and that is a village. Okay, all uh, right. <laughs> and this village was initially it was initially set up as like a, a an occupying protest uh, when when this construction was first begun. Mm-hmm. But over the years, it has become a home to uh, to many people who are uh, creating, who are trying to like kind of break down this border, and uh, and it has become like a, I don't know, somewhat of a sanctuary for people passing into the north, where thing where the the heat is not quite so um, so horrific, and and some semblance of habitable land still exists. All right. 
so the film opens with our villain, uh, who is the CEO of NPC, and I wanted this guy to be just real shit, just like, just really. Did you what? Did you watch that John Oliver thing on uh, on what was his name, Joe oh, Apio? Oh yeah, 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 like, uh, yeah, yeah. Like that. That show's really good and informative and funny at the same time, but occasionally it butts up against the subject that's just like, no, there's no jokes here. This is just evil. Yeah. So I want. It's it's the problem that a lot of I think a lot of those shows uh, ha- happen when they're like we're critiquing everyday life in the West and oh but sometimes sometimes shit's just really yeah, bad. yeah it's like don't make a joke about that that's fucking awful but yeah that that's kind of where I want to uh, draw my villain from uh the film wow. opens okay. with an internet broadcast of the uh, of the villains paramilitary organization storming this town. And and threatening the residents, and it's and it's broadcast for the entertainment of viewers around the world. All right. Uh, and so this uh, this villain approaches the village and uh, warns the residents that if they don't clear out by one week, they will be forcibly removed. This sort of thing. So it's kind of playing off like <laughs> this has got so fucking political. It's like playing off the border <laughs> wall thing, and also the oh, what was the oil pipeline thing last year? Uh, oh, the, the the Dakota. Yeah pipeline yeah yeah okay uh no dapple this is the this is the absolute height of uh, of european privilege being able to make this into entertainment <laughs> but hey um he doesn't have a warrant or a permit but he does have his own blueprints and in this world that's all he needs um, all right and the woman uh the woman who is the founder of this uh of this town she's now faced with uh, a dilemma uh, there's no government to either save them or force them out um, right, and the company cannot be reasoned with, so the only choice now is to fight. So mm-hmm. naturally, she's going to look around in the uh, in the the wastelands and find anyone who might be able to uh, to lend a hand and defend her home. Okay, all right, that's a all right, that's a solid. Uh, I think I think that that's a fucking solid premise. So I want to take this into who are your seven? Okay. Why are uh, who are your seven? And more importantly, I think like because the thing about the Magnificent Seven movies is that like each character basically gets like a trait. Yeah, if that makes sense. Like there's like and um there's always a hothead. So I assume you have a hothead. I have a hothead. But 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 more importantly, like each character has to have a trait, has to have their own like uh thing that they do. So. uh so tell me then. So like, who are so, your th- seven characters? Yeah. You don't have to give me names. Well, one of our well, yeah, I've like, got any names. The one of our seven is is the the leader of the village. This woman who who found who founded the place. Because I figured oh, she's, that, a, she's a fighter. Yeah, she she she's been like defending it herself uh, for as much as she can and trying to like train locals. But she needs like specialists at this stage, and she's heard that someone has uh, has like smuggled uh, a family member across the across the border using this like this raid from npc as a um as a distraction and this right. uh, sense of initiative prompts her to approach this person and one of our seven is this smuggler man who um who manages to get people through through the border um under the radar um and he agrees to help her track down five people who will be able to defend the village and and, that, and that's kind of like our our, our yule brinner character all right. Um, so the first person is going to be this uh, former border patrol officer, 
who's uh, who's who's bitter at how like unequipped he was to deal with the like the mounting uh, crisis of people trying to get across the across the border and cannot and cannot like give himself over to the to the evils that will uh, that are required for that job. Mm-hmm. So he's this like bitter guy who would rather do some good and uh, and and be like trying to be on the right side of history. So he joins them. There's also, because it's an apocalypse film, there's also uh, this survivalist character, this wealthy survivalist who's been in a bunker, um, who's disgruntled at how slowly the apocalypse is happening. Happening. <laughs> he was initially mm-hmm. very excited to get in his bunker and wait out and wait things out, but it's taking far too long. It's just a slow, incremental uh, everyone going to shit. There was no like atom bombs or anything like that. So he's realizing that if he can't like carve out something, some form of good that he can. Uh, be on top of after after the fall um he won't be worth anything so he's he lends his hand as well so he's like this kind of unhinged uh the the weirdo eccentric one mm-hmm. uh i've also <laughs> sorry just for this what one thing i noticed in in the magnificent seven in the old one and the remake is uh there's always a guy with knives there's a knife guy yeah yeah um so i wanted an equivalent of a knife guy but then i thought nah Let's take it one step further and do, like, high-tech bow and arrow people. So I've got here uh, a brother and sister assassination yeah. squad wrought from the rampant corporate espionage of the previous years who, who realise that work is drying up and take will take whatever they can get. And they're, like, your silent, stoic, cool ones who can who can wreck shit. Uh, so they join the team. And then uh, and, and they've got, like... Have they got, like, exploding arrows and shit? Mm-hmm. Like like armor piercing arrows, one that can, arrow. ones that can go through windows and stuff like that. I'm thinking like almost like Avatar level. Oh, wait, hold on. Normal arrows can go through windows. No, they can't go through glass though. They can't make like. Those... Yes, they can. Pete, arrows can go through like plate <laughs> mail. They can fucking go through windows. Arrows can't go through like thick glass. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, arrows can. You're just saying, you're, wait, you're saying that if you were driving in a car and some bloke walks out into the road with a bow and arrow and he starts like loosing at you, you think, oh, I'm. You don't think I'm alright? I'm in a car. I mean, it, no, actually, no. I mean, it, this is an interesting point, and when I am next attacked by bandits on the M64, just, keep it in I mind. will be. Uh, I, I I will be, frankly, even more scared as I realise that my <laughs> Volvo is not sufficient protection. And I mean, maybe my, and maybe my my uh, coin purse will be taken <laughs> from me and delivered unto Robin Hood. I mean, let's let's be realistic for a second, Brody, and let's not be silly. You don't drive. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So, <laughs> uh, well, that, well, that that's that's why I have a coin purse, Pete. I mean, do do, do all of the uh, do the nobles who regularly <laughs> travel through Sherwood Forest drive their own carriages? No, they do not. Uh, so the last person and that is why they are prey for fiends and muggers. <laughs> so the last person in our in our in our lineup is a former bomb disposal expert um, who was on government payroll. Uh, but whose knowledge of of guerrilla explosives has made them one of the most sought after bomb manufacturers in these turbulent times. Cool. Uh, in the in these like desperate um, all, all or nothing uh, periods we live in. So the gang all get together, and they're in they're in the village, and they you know this is like the usual things the the these other structural elements that we're that we're parodying. So no, not parodying, but like repeating. 
is, uh, you know, they receive a couple of days of hospitality and they also deal with, like, the quite logical scepticism of the locals. Like, that's one thing I really liked about the, uh, about the old Magnificent Seven is that there's actually, they, they address that, like, the people these guys are saving are just like, what the fuck? You just brought, like, a bunch of violent weirdos into our town and just, like, said they'll help us. And they're, like, actually quite wary of them. Like, I'm, I was quite surprised they brought that up in the old one, is that, like, most of the women in the town are scared of these men and will mm. not talk to them. Which I find is, like, a really cool thing and something I'd like to, uh, I'd like to maybe um, add on to. I mean, that that's something that... It's actually something that's quite interesting about Seven Samurai as well, the way that um, being a samurai is actually... It's not necessarily seen as something laudable. So, uh, so the, the NPC, uh, New Patriots Co- Construction, that's what it is, mm-hmm. uh, they ride into town, and they, this is their time to, for their initial, like, dragging people out. They ride in with not too many, not too many soldiers on hand. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously they butt up against our, our hero, our smuggler. And they exchange words, and obviously a fight breaks out, uh, in which our heroes are able to chase off the bad guys. Because so, you've got to have that like initial win, that initial, oh, there are, is hope, and you've got to have the bad guy aware of, like, what the hell, what are they doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, spirits wane when the group realizes the villain will be back with much more firepower than before. They realize mm-hmm. what they're really up against. Uh, it seems as if there's no hope, but the survivalist, this man in his bunker... He reveals that he has actually been sitting on a large payload of powerful explosives. Um, and in the worst case scenario, they could simply detonate them and take down as much of NPC as possible. Um, mm-hmm. This would obviously destroy most of the village, but it would um, halt any construction of the wall for that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it begins to seem like this is the only way that they could win the fight. Right. The Border Patrol man, our hothead our, like, broken, confused allegiances, man, he contemplates betrayal, and he ends up sneaking into the NPC camp uh, and asks to join their team, because he realizes that uh, any standing up against them is going to be completely futile in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the villain uh, insists that he would rather keep this man as a mole. He'd rather keep him on the inside. And the patrolman, he decides to tell the villain about their explosive plan. Uh, and he said, "That's their, you know, that's their race in the hole. If you if you raid this place, they might just like blow the entire thing up and take them take themselves with you." Um, and he offers okay. that he can detonate these these bombs before the raid and before they can be mobilized, so like this, our heroes won't have any chance. So the patrolman that night he gets back to the village and he sees that the team is clearly breaking down. The uh, the the ex government guy, the old uh, disposal expert, he insists that they're all on a suicide mission and this is just crazy. And he decides to uh, leave the group. Mm-hmm. And he rides off. All oh, right, okay. And then the founder woman, um, the woman who organized all this, she also seems to have co- a complete lack of faith and decides to take a number of her people and uh, and just take them south and just try to help people who were who were going who were about to be on the wrong side of the border. Just like uh, do the best she can and 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 leave the village alone. Uh, so it seems right. as if the team has broken up and it and it's uh, and it's completely wrong. But uh, the next week is spent desperately training what locals there are left, and the patrolman and the smuggler they decide to head into the NPC camp for one final parlay. So we've got kind of like a like a a, a cross um, 
a, a double cross uh, system of, of intentions here because the patrolman's going to betray them, but no one knows that. Um, and they go to talk to the villain, and as an t- intimidation tactic, the villain has called up all his forces from all along the border. Uh, the, the, the villain has called up all his forces from all along the border uh, just to show how, how screwed this village is. Um, mm. And the smuggler bluffs to the villain and says, you know, uh, well, we've actually got way more support than you think, so bring everything you got, which is like a ballsy move. <laughs> uh, and then on the day of the raid, it turns out, you know, there's only four fighters, the smuggler, the uh, um, the survivalist guy, and then the two assassins with bows and arrows, may I, may I mention. And then there's a traitor, and then there's a team of poorly trained locals to defend the village. All right, all right. So, you know, it's the day of the fight. NPC, this corporation, they're enclosing on, on both sides. Um, and the, uh, as the first shots are fired, the patrolman goes into the bunker to detonate the, the team's explosives, to ruin their chances. But he finds that the bunker is empty. Uh, and the smuggler Ooh. catches him there. He catches him red-handed and explains to him that uh, what he saw the night before, the team breaking apart, he, he, he predicted his betrayal. And what he saw the night before of the, of the bomb disposal, the government guy leaving and the founder woman leaving, that was all a ruse. That was all like uh, a played out... Um, a pl- uh, like all a plan and actually they took the explosives with them and the patrolman asks why they did that but before he gets an answer the smuggler just shoots him and he's dead Ooh. so fight ensues I want I want real edgy no holds barred just like crazy pseudo modern combat I want I want people running up giant like uh, like what, what, what do you call them like demolition mech uh, I want people running up them and shooting bows and arrows into them, and just like oh, sick! So you're gonna have like a ton of giant robots. Yeah, yeah well, like uh, just like giant demolition the, robots. Yeah, like stuff. giant demolition vehicles just like plowing in, and then people like having to stop them and like blow up their uh, their, their their rollers and their gears and stuff like that. Cool. But Can you have like uh, I don't know, mechanized bits of the wall itself, almost. Oh like... my god! How how would you mechanize a wall? I don't know, put it on wheels. <laughs> but, but yeah, but the, the basically the point is like that it, maybe it sinks itself down. Like there's like segments and they sink themselves down <laughs> into the earth. Or... <laughs> but basically, the the point is that the the CEO of NBC has, has has brought his entire force just for this village, just to prove a point. Okay. Um, so the fight plays out, and basically the heroes get trampled. Most of the village is destroyed. Almost every main character is killed, um, and it ends mm-hmm. with. Just the smuggler on his own, about to die, and the villain strolls up to him to finish the job. And out of curiosity, he asks, "You know, where? Well, where are those explosives? What did you? What? What actually happened with them?" And instead of giving an answer, with his dying breath, the smuggler just clicks a button. And then I'm talking, boom! Like all, like all along the wall, and it's revealed that uh, the 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 founder woman and the government guy were sent in opposite directions and tasked with rallying up help in setting up detonation points all along the completed wall. And then there's this, like, huge sequence oh, of just this, like, big finale where for miles along, along each way, for, like, a, for every mile, there's, like, an explosion that makes a clean hole in this wall and just creates this, like, dotted, jagged mess. And even though the villains have, um, have like, won over the village, the rest of their work is just completely undone because they've, like, taken guards off all the rest of the wall. And the explosions are going to start from far away and move in just as the wall's construction did. So it's all going to move mm. in, and then the final explosion, uh, it like 
comes in towards them. The final explosion is in the middle of the village itself, and it's revealed that the smuggler himself is actually holding the final bomb. And then, boom, hero and villain both go up together, uh, fights over, village is lost, but this wall is now like a jagged uh, mess of what it used to be. And the film ends with uh, the founder woman and the old government man, like, leading uh, refugees from the south just through through each of the holes. We pan up and we just see more and more holes along this big horizon. And then people just, like, siphoning into them and escaping the, like, just the, the hellish, uninhabitable south. And credits. Neat. Okay, yeah, I, I like that. Um, I have a couple... I, I have... I think I have one, like, like my major nitpick, I guess, would be about uh, the explosives as a plot device. Just sort of being like, oh, this rich survivalist guy just happens to have them. <laughs> yeah. When, when they're, when they're, A, when there's, like, so many of them. I mean, what, think about it, man. Like, this is, uh, wait, so first of all, like, it can't be all the wall across, no. like, the entire country, right? Nice. Like, it's just going to be for a few miles. But, like, they're so significant i kind of feel like they're like they should be born from something a bit more specific yeah yeah they they should be um they're they're accumulating the explosives should be from something um like that should be like a first win or like a like a champion yeah that should be like maybe maybe after that initial encounter they should do that and then then could be revealed that they've got this special like ace in the hole yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to do that, but then I realized it would be hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, okay, so, but on the whole, uh, that sounds like a really good uh, Mechanism 7. So, I like, what I, is your personal stamp on this? I think that's, like, the final thing oh. to ask. Is like, how, what is the, what is the Peter Flynn uh, component of this remake? Uh, I I suppose just like the the shitty future pseudo technologically infused uh, combat thing because I, I realized like a lot mm. of um, a lot of like borderline contemporary action movies uh, will obviously rely on, uh, on 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 spaces in which the public or the movie going public do not enter into that much like espionage and spy stuff or military stuff you know yeah and I realized like holy shit introducing this like thing that has a very pertinent relationship to politics that are going on right now and like having just almost regular people indulging in it is like really close to home and like troubling to see especially if you if you end up with them just like shooting each other and just like killing each other in all, all kinds of manners so i suppose just like that raw unflinching yeah we'll make a big action scene out of this no matter what uh element that's why i really wanted to introduce this because that's not something you that's something we haven't had since the um, uh since like cowboy times you know like this whole like everyone's just on on the edge of society and and and, and can have these big gunfights because even though they're like regular people fending for themselves that relatability that wanted to like blow up into like a bigger larger form you want to be able to locate that kind of lawless uh violence in a more civilized setting yeah, yeah not in a, like a heightened space not about fucking uh, like spies or martial arts people or, or like sci-fi things like 
I wanted to make it a little bit more grounded. And that's why it's probably going to look like some strange communist manifesto film. But I mean, like, there's, there's a couple of interesting... Because, like, on the one hand, uh, when you talk about, like, the machines, the... Uh, in like, the company uses, mm. I've sort of got images of James Cameron esque, yeah, like giant vehicles and shit, which I really like. Um, so I think there's like there I is a know, slight sci-fi element, but I want it to be like just on the edge of like mm. incomprehensibility. You know, okay, that's one yeah, thing yeah. I kind of I like, I like about say for example like Elysium. Like even though that movie has does have like explicit robots and stuff, um, I suppose I should probably say District Nine instead. Like, even though they have explicit sci-fi elements, like, a lot of the the aesthetic of the tech going on looks like some weird thing you could see in a strange article in a couple days. Yeah, that makes sense. You know? it, it it all looks like uh, real-world stuff. Yeah. I, d- I just think uh, there's even... There's quite a lot of... Uh, uh, potential from the aesthetic of the movie, as you described it to me, with the technology just being really chunky. Yeah, yeah, and, and dusty. You know, like, it, it's it's all, like, cubes yeah. and lumps, and it's all very heavy and not very sleek. Like, I really, yeah, like, I like that aesthetic. Um, right, I'm going to go pee uh, quickly before we talk about Dalmatian mm, Man. Uh, keep your recording mm. going. Also, like, the interesting thing was going to be that, like, um, there are sort of... Uh, parallels to there, there are ways you could bring in um, uh, anti like uh, the like debates like internal debates within the left over the um, uh, legitimacy of, of violence okay. in resisting uh, oppressive and like mostly sort of state or fascist forces, but yeah, you know, I guess or capitalist forces as well, and sort of more or less militant types of resistance that you could sort of apply to this uh just like if, if the village is just uh inhabited by a group of hippies effectively and then all of these like tough anarcho-syndicalist type well they're not they're not that but um yeah i was on yeah i was wondering if if, if i should do that but it, i was worried it might make the the sanctity of the village like it seemed like up for debate do you know what I mean? Okay. Like if it's if it's full of sort of college students, like Occupy Wall Street sort of people, like mm. rather than people who actually live there and like depend on it as home, then you might kind of look at the village as just kind of this uh, protest site. Oh right, that's sort of what I thought it was. Yeah, that, I didn't yeah, I kind it was... Of... yeah, I don't know. I don't know how far I want to go with each direction though. All right. Okay. It's like a weird balance but... I have to find. All right. That's that's important. Okay, you, but you want you want to sort of sacralize it with the with the notion of home. Yeah, I don't want yeah, anyone like sense. playing guitar with like white white dreads or anything like that. <laughs> and then you just be like, oh, blow it up immediately. Go build that wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fuck it. Fuck that shit. All right. So uh, I think that wraps up our discussion of uh, Pete's. Oh, Pete, Pete, Pete. What? Before you go, what's it? What's it? What's the title? What's the movie called? Oh, oh, Jesus. Um. Seven surly sods. <laughs> Seven surly sods. I didn't. Okay. I didn't. I didn't know we were doing titles. Jesus. Uh, it's it's uh, usually easy. It's just usually whatever the last one was. Two. Right. Well. Okay. So it's either Magnificent Seven Two or. <laughs> <laughs> set, or set fucking like. 
150 years later. Or seven surly sods. Okay, and that and that is our pitch for seven surly sods, the movie. Yeah, and there's gonna be five more of them. It's gonna be called Magnificent Seven Seven. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Magnificent Seven Up. You you cannot call it the Magnificent Seven Seven. All right, because that's a terrorist attack date for any. Oh, <laughs> oh my. <laughs> Okay, welcome back. Um, so this is part two of our as of yet unnamed podcast, and uh, now it's time for me to take up Pete's challenge, uh, which was to Pete. Uh, why don't you tell the well, listeners? Well, it's a what remake. Demolition Man, nineteen ninety three's Demolition Man. No, no, eighties, uh, eighties. Oh, no. Demolition Man was eighties. You kidding? It was nineties. Are you? Wait, there's really Sandra Bullock's in it, and I like Sandra Bullock doesn't definitely not a. All right, this is the most Jesus Christ. This is the most 1980s, 1990s movie I think I've ever watched. So 90s, 93 was 93. It was 93. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I just checked. Wow. The reason, well, the reason I gave you this movie is because it's part of this like crop of early 90s action films that have mostly receive remakes themselves like when you think of uh total recall that got a remake recently and then robocop got a remake recently uh, and and things like that tend to crop up again point break got a remake and, and and stuff but like i wonder that because for example total recall and for some reason this strikes me as the most like as very similar to total recall total recall um it's based on a book and Running Running Man is, but like actually, no, Running Man didn't get a remake. No, it did Hunger Games, but um, but like thi- this one doesn't seem to have like the the same grounding as those films, like Robocop. Like I guess this is the Paul Verhoeven thing, where everything is so biting and so like pertinent and intentional. Whereas Demolition Man, it's got like such a great premise of of yes. like just so clean and so perfect of just like oh, what if a the supervillain got cryogenically frozen and woke up in a future that was inequipped to deal with him. So you had to unfreeze his his rival, and yeah, then yeah, have yeah. these people battle in, in in the future. Like it's so it's so clean and it's so good. But some of the ways this film tries to like flesh itself out are just really odd. Oh oh, all of the ways this film is this like to flesh itself out it's... are bizarre it's like a movie that's like middling success but everything about it is really interesting <laughs> i so i would like i'd like to say that um okay so so basically you wanted me to remake this because it exists in the same headspace as like total recall and all these other films but it, it's very bizarre and actually like i'm just if, amazed if, the premise never got done again well yeah i though to be honest, looking at the execution of Demolition Man, I can see why. Yeah, but like it does kind of forget its its own shtick, you know? Like, oh yeah, I like the first half. I'm so hopeful and so happy because, like, I don't like. Let me just say, Wesley Snipes is way more engaging than Sylvester Stallone in this film. Wesley Snipes is so fun to watch. Oh, um, you just, think so? What are you talking about? He's so he's so suited. Oh, no, no, he's no. just this. I... I don't give a shit about Wesley Snipes what? in this movie. 
I also don't. I really like some. I okay. This, Why okay. do you like Stallone? Stallone's just doing his Stallone stuff. Where's his snap? It's like so, weird, said, posh, I, like. Right. Okay, okay. Okay. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna lay down my thoughts yeah. about Demolition Man because it sounds like they diverge. Demolition Man is the most confusing. Is one of the most confusing good movies I have ever watched. <laughs> I think. Because all the reasons that it is good are reasons why a movie would be bad. Um, Jesus Christ! Explain that. Uh, basically, it's because it's all about. All right, so Demolition Man, uh, as Pete explains, on the on the surface is about uh, a uh, what happens when a, a mass murdering uh, sociopathic killer. Uh, gets cryogenically frozen by law enforcement. <laughs> when and when that happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, because that happens in this weird... Uh, can we, can we just say how little sense that that uh, penal system works? Like, oh. you've been bad. We're going to just freeze you and make you live way, way longer than any of the people who haven't been bad. No, no, no. It's, it, well, no, it's a good... It's it, Because there's the whole um, rehabilitation effort. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's like, the logic. Okay. And the rehabilitation Just, takes a really long time. Well, yeah, but like it, it's it's weird because so basically what the, the rehabilitation thing is they freeze people and then uh, they have a subliminal suggestion, basically like changing their personality yeah. and turning them. It's slowly turning them into different. Teaches them knitting. People. So, Jesus, Pete, stop ruining Sorry. the great things. <laughs> Just just shut up while I All right. while I explain it in the film. So the so the film is. Uh, uh, so the film is ostensibly about a cop uh, traveling into the future, being brought back into a utopian future, which has uh, which cannot uh, which cannot fight this sociopathic menace. Yeah, that is ostensibly what the film is about. What the actualness of the film, what the actual film is about, is about um, the world's uh the the world's ultimate dad being bemused and generally <laughs> irritated uh by a wimpy uh, avoca avocado millennial future <laughs> and is... and the entire and like the entirety of the film the film um the, the, to be honest like the plot uh in which which focuses on sort of uh, how the cop played, uh, whose name is uh, John, John Spartan. Spartan. <laughs> Fucking great name for a cop. Uh, uh, taking down his his uh, this evil megalomaniac, Simon Phoenix. Again, solid, a, a great solid name. fucking names. Um, I love the way they characterize John Spartan just with this, like, clip of, like, this, like, archive footage of him carrying, like, this little girl out of a flaming mall. And this news reporter's like, why did you destroy a $7 million shopping mall just to rescue a girl for whom there was only a $25,000 ransom? And the little girl just goes, fuck you, lady. It's <laughs> just like, there we go. I, I, That's his character. I He's just like, at that fact. <laughs> um, I hide and freeze him. It's, it's. Oh boy! So the, so I don't know. So this is why I don't find Wesley Snipes the engaging part okay. of the movie. Because for me, the core of the movie is Sylvester Stallone walking around uh, a future, which as it as it as it unfolds, like actually becomes revealed to be like something of a dystopia. Yeah. 
I mean, it's completely peaceful and crime-free, but it's 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 achieved that status on the basis of like basically every negative or potentially harmful behavior or act being made illegal. Like my favorite one of my one of my favorite thing about the film um, is that whenever a character swears, oh, they they follow they through anything. on that. <laughs> they get fined um, a. Was it? They get fined like, one credit. Oh, I've got yeah, it written down. Like written one down. credit. What they I find, fined, they get fined uh, one credit uh, for for uh, violating the verbal morality statute. Yeah, which I, <laughs> which I love because yeah, they as Pete mentioned, they uh, they they lean into that concept wholeheartedly. Like they don't just do it once, do the joke once, and you forget about it. You just hear it off in the background sometimes. <laughs> But like so, what I what I find weird is like how how does the movie commit to showing that this future is is bad? Like is it bad because it's got this broader like undercity plot, or is it bad because we're just supposed to think that all these fucking like no swearing, no graffiti, no, like vegetarians are really lame? Like are we wholeheartedly on on John Spartan's side and thinking this is lame? I think so because I think um, that well. See, there's an odd line off on uh, one. There's there's an odd throwaway line about how a, abortion is illegal oh, yeah. as well, um, which is, which gets a bit dystopian-y. Yeah, I, I like that. Like, there's little... just a whole bunch of stuff. I think it's it's really. Um, this is why I thought it was an '80s movie, by the way, because it's so uh, directed against sort of nanny state regulation yeah. gone mad type well, that's what i find thing. Like, we- like really is, weird like this this is how uh neocons i mm. think imagine liberals i think this is what they how neocons imagine liberals want the world but it's it's uh, actually as far as like future dystopias go it's quite unique because the only way i could describe this thing was like pathetic orwellianism like just really limp in a strange way, like so, so many things are, are illegal, but they also don't need to be enforced because no one, yeah. no one is violent. They don't even, <laughs> they don't even know what, what a murder is. They just call it murder death. Kills. Murder death. Kills. Oh, no, no one, no one even does high fives because <laughs> physical contact is so verboten in it's this. So good. This dystopia. Oh God, there's so many great. Uh, li- there's so it's such a impressively detailed silly dystopia yeah because it makes no sense like there's no way an actual society would run like this but it's so imp- it's it's the the world building is so granular um, yeah yeah, yeah. Commi- that's why it's so fun to the watch commitment to it is yeah the whole so pizza hut thing <laughs> right like and uh, oh yeah like um taco bell is the only restaurant in did you watch this, the version with taco bell or with pizza hut Oh, Taco Bell. I, I watched the version with Pizza Hut because in Europe, no one cares what Taco Bell is, so they they dub it to say so because their so their mouths are clearly saying Taco Bell, but it's dubbed for like Pizza Hut. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's really just strange. just to inform our listeners, uh, the joke is is that like uh, uh, there was a thing called the Franchise Wars, <laughs> and so that much meant that now only uh, that meant that uh, Taco Bell is now the only restaurant, and all restaurants are just called Taco Bell. I like that this world's gone through <laughs> like so dumb. four apocalypses. Like there's 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 like this earthquake that messed everything up, and it just implied that there was a big earthquake. And then the other one, which really messed with me, is is when you start getting to like the sexual elements of this future, where. 
um, it's implied that there was this just huge STD apocalypse. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. That's like the biggest... The, that's the biggest world-building element in the film, if you ask me, and it's barely addressed. It's just like Sandra Bullock's reason for not having physical sex. Well, it's it's because um, in many ways this... You see, again, this is why I felt like this film was made in the 80s, because it felt like just a... Um, like a hit list of mm. 80s paranoias. So, yeah. eight, so AIDS, uh, wimpy environmental oversight, um, uh, uh, the destruction of cities. Mm. Though I, I, I guess, um, I guess Los Angeles was pretty rough. I, I can't remember when the big Lo- riot, Los Angeles riot happened. That was 92, I, I think. Okay. So, right. So they're definitely playing off of that. Um, also, President Schwarzenegger, which I found really funny, is like still is, is outraged by that, and I was just like, "Oh wow, Arnold Schwarzenegger being president—that's terrible." <laughs> <laughs> um, so inconceivable. But um, okay, so but but basically, so my thesis is is that the fun thing about uh, about Demolition Man is that it's about a dad. Um, being just generally bemused about various aspects of the future. Yeah. And, he's, and he's bemused about very dad things, right? Like he's bemused about the vegetarianism. He's He doesn't really get how the toilets are supposed to work. He can't work <laughs> no one, no one gets how the three seashells work by the end. They, don't, they still don't explain it. Um, he doesn't like, like he can't drive the cars properly. <laughs> there, there are no guns. How does this remote work? It's, it's, what do you yeah, mean I click very... the screen? Exactly. <laughs> it's very dad. So, um, and I will, I will admit here, I did not put as much work into my uh, <laughs> you know, like the treatment. Did. No, I want to hear. Okay, so I have two directions in which I could in which I could potentially take this, and one of them would just be to do a dad movie for the modern era. Um, <laughs> so it's confusing when you say a modern era about a film in which there's a past that's set in the future, but it's actually our past. And then a future right. that's still our future. It's very hard to say, let's do that in the modern era. I have no idea what you mean. Well, okay, okay. so uh, what I envision is... is it, it, so it, I'm going to go with, like, straight remakes. So uh, we set it at, like, this, at, like, in the modern period for the prologue, where, um, for the prologue, sorry, where John Spartan and has his... Uh, well, or, as I was going to suggest... Uh, not John Spartan, but Athena Coronella, because <laughs> what I'm thinking is Demolition Woman. <laughs> Shit, you blew up! You you blew our card. You played you played our hand too early. We could have done that every week. I I don't know. I I'm so I think it's a it, it's a lazy ass. Uh, one thing I definitely don't want to do with uh this podcast is to just. Um, fall into just gender swapping very every easy. week. Very, very, very fall into gender swapping as like a as a crutch. Yeah. Um. I, that's not to say I think that gender swapping is bad, or I think that gender swapping is not like a viable artistic movement. I'm just saying that like this is supposed to be about somewhat innovative sequels, and this is the basic level sure. um means of remaking. However, I think it is very. I think that it has potential in a remake of Demolition Man. Because 
instead of being a movie where a dad is very bemused about the future, it becomes a movie about a mum okay. being very bemused about the future. And that's so you're the, still going. That's my pitch. You're still going with them being bemused by the future. Mm. You're still going as the future being like confusing to them. It's not a. Co- it's a. It's going to be like a complex interestingly drawn up future because i was i was thinking like you they could wake up in anything you know oh yeah yeah yeah. but i i really i think to maintain because i i i have this thing i i feel that remakes should uh try to retain the soul of the original Mm -hmm. movie um while uh seeking to reinterpret that in like a new and interesting way sure and because uh, and I think this because I think the soul of Demolition Man is a, it's 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 a it's like a absurdist uh, variant on um, machismo, mm-hmm. uh, but a, but a quite gentle and actually surprise and like non abrasive version. Like compared to compared to a whole bunch of eighties movies, it, the kind of uh, machismo that uh, John Spartan puts out into the world. Is is actually surprisingly inoffensive. Um, well, he he he's often complaining about stuff, but he's never that outraged. You know, mm. you like like the joke is obviously on the future, but it's also a tiny bit on him. Right. And that... I would never. And the, and the reason I'm sort of afraid of of doing another just machismo focused film is that in the modern era, um, I don't know. Like pe- people who do the same, who do, who have the same sort of problems with regulation that John Spartan does, tend to be the kind of people who call people cucks on Twitter. Are oh, oh, freaks so, who don't deserve anything, <laughs> who don't right, deserve so, movies. Exactly, um, and that's just kind of I don't I I'm not confident. But now I'm in this equally interesting position where I have to try and come up with a mum movie. Uh, a mum disapproval movie where <laughs> I am not sexist. I like how you're ignoring the action elements so much. <laughs> well, so okay, so this is this is part of the problem, right? I feel like a, a female character wouldn't word her displeasure with the future quite as much. I don't know, maybe that's a huge assumption on my part. Like maybe mm. it's yeah, a but, uh, maybe it's a very macho thing to to like find stuff you don't understand and just complain about it a whole bunch. Well, no, because uh, the second, my, so my most important thing, uh, the first thing I thought of when I thought about, okay, uh, I want to remake this, it, had, it was like, who is the star? Who is the central star going to be? All right, because it has to be an actor that swears all the time. Okay, like this is this is a like this is the necessity, right? Like a, you cannot do. Uh, a Demolition Man remake without like a somewhat sweary. Who are you gonna cast then? Like fucking Amy Schumer or something? Nah, 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 nah. Um, Michelle Rodriguez. Yes. Yeah. Right. That's a very good choice. That's a good. Yeah, I I think that would work. I think Michelle Rodriguez. I think uh, Michelle Rodriguez plays Athena Coronella. Yeah. Uh is you know she's a super cop um i don't know whether she should be a literal mother i don't think she should she doesn't have to be a literal mother that's like not 
anything. And like, I don't want her to be sort of a literal matriarch either. Yeah. I just want to be like, oh, I know. So what she needs to be is just like someone who is old beyond her peers and is sort of irritated by um, how all the men in her department, especially, just seem to be these just super immature and like they're not forward planning. They don't have like their finances in order. <laughs> so, um, so a real opposite. They're like Spartan, they're, 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 they're still like joking around and farting and all this. She's like, oh, I'm just a professional. I want to be a professional. I want to get my job done. Right. Uh, pay my taxes and and have my pension plan. And she's just like and and she's also like she's just she doesn't take shit. Right. Is the other thing. Are you? She just refuses to take any shit. Are you gonna approach like the duality rivalry thing? Because that in my notes was like the most defining quality of this film. See, I didn't. I didn't get any sort of duality. I I did. I did think about um, who would be playing simon phoenix yeah and uh oh, i was thinking uh how does uh kate mckinnon sound <laughs> she i could never picture her as like legit evil though um like actually well, I, don't know. Up. I mean that might be it might be interesting we we know that she's apparently a pretty good performer and i i think it's I'm just, I, I was just running through my head of like trying to think what women, because it's more important that the, that the actress can do crazy than they can do evil. Yeah. I mean, it. that's what Wesley Snipes does well. Is you just, you yeah, enjoy watching he, like, him just like, he does crazy entertain well. himself in this future that like lets him do whatever he likes. Mm. Oh, I see what you mean. So I, I can see sort of Kate McKinnon doing like a because I, I think that's what she did in Ghostbusters. I got I got the sense that mm. her role in Ghostbusters was a sort. Of, I'm just trying to picture like, Kate wacky... McKinnon. Kate McKinnon killing people though. Mm. But the, mm. but isn't isn't but isn't that like a just a historically weird thing? Like we're not we're not prepped to see female characters like killing people and doing evil things and not being like cold and 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 and, and brooding and and sad. Yeah, exactly. I mean? Exactly. So I, uh, another potential uh, Melissa McCarthy. Like, <laughs> so she's getting all the I'm... Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I am. I am sort of drawing from the same tree. But I was just thinking, like, in terms of women who I think could like do crazy, and could and could also, um, like, who are good actresses. You're gonna be um, hard pressed to find that, like, crazy, crazy yeah. or like randomness is in their range. You're gonna find um, you're gonna be hard pressed to find also, that crazy. Like, that's not Melissa also McCarthy comedy. might be an interesting, like, I, I think Melissa McCarthy might be interesting as well. As action. Yeah, I think so. the The other thing is like fucking Wesley Snipes. Um, is man that dude can either his that dude or his stunt double can do some really good karate kicks. Oh, Wesley Snipes is a black belt in like some strange form of karate. <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah, I, I researched I, this. He's great. Like you can just see in his fight st- fight scenes that like Sylvester Stallone is just clearly just just movie fighting, and there's like just this blah blah throwing punches. But Wesley Snipes, he like holds these positions that just look so legit, and he looks like he's really carrying through these kicks and stuff. All right. So so anyway, I I foresee uh, Michelle Rodriguez 
she goes to a future. Wait, does she does she get does she get frozen for the same reasons? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, gets frozen for basically the same reasons. I I don't just see... that vague like framing at last minute. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't really see much reason oh, to touch you know, to change the plot. Do you know what would be a great reason to freeze the main character? Would be in case of the exact situation of of the film's plot happening. Oh man! Like in it, what, in case any of the gets, rehabilitation gets... doesn't work. What if she gets frozen as uh, a departmental? Um, because because her bosses are kind of because because she doesn't like kowtow to her bosses, her like corrupt bosses, they end up freezing her. What? It's just like an explicit act of violence. Just let's let's cryogenically freeze this. Well, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, so there, there's a programs like future cops. There's like insurance cops or whatever, and they're yeah. like, oh, well, you don't. And like, I don't know. She doesn't have, she doesn't have a family because she's very wedded to her work or whatever. So they find out she's eligible and just make her do it. Yeah, something like that. That's such a funny act of like such a funny mean thing to do to someone. I'm gonna gradually freeze you and put you in the future. Yeah, I could, I could see that. So she, she wakes up in the future, and. The future needs to be um, just the most unprofessional future. Unprofessional? Ah, uh, see, um, yeah, here we go. Like, this is this is what I'm interested in. What? How is your future going to differ from this just like softened also, one of the original? So I'm just so now I'm just thinking, right? So the so okay, so my main so my main character Athena is is someone who gets really pissed off at just infantile adults infantile adults sloppy adults like adults without like basically people who are adult age but who aren't adults in like fucking Judd Apatow films pardon? like fucking Judd Judd Apatow films basically yeah yeah okay so this is the Judd Apatow verse (laughs) just Seth Rogen's face on giant billboards laughing always Basically, yeah. Everyone like the national, um, the national sport is now hacky sack. Uh, everyone has got, uh, everyone has got like really floppy hair and wears t-shirts. Like everyone like wears you, t-shirts and sandals. If you, to if work. you say if you say four twenty in a crowd, you just hear this like big wave of like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Everyone vapes. Literally Every- everyone vapes. <laughs> That's like the new LA smog. Uh, oh yes, yes. Oh my goodness, yes. Um, you could have like, like some horrible LA, reveals. LA smells like, but literally, we you could have a weather report where they're say, where they're describing like uh, uh, like the the strawberry bank now rolling in from the east. Meeting, <laughs> I used to meet the cherry bank from the rest. To... You could you could have like this opening shot of just like of just a beautiful sunscape or like clear blue skies and the sun, and you just move down into this smog. And the audience thinks, oh my god, they've all got like flying pollution cars and stuff. And it just like goes down, you will, below the smog haze, it's just everyone's vaping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's really good. I was describing the sort of slacker Judd Apatow esque reality that, um, that Athena finds herself in. Uh, and she comes in, she's partnered with, you know what, fuck it. She's partnered with Seth Rogen. <laughs> Who, who is, who is, who is a cop? He's like a slack. He's 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 a slacker cop like his fellows, um, but you know he he aspires to something more. Like he 
wears a sh- like he wears a tie at is, the office. Hang on, he is he is he the Sandra Bullock equation? If... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the Sandra <laughs> Bullock equivalent. Um, and he. He, he he wears a tie at the office. He doesn't do it up properly. He doesn't do it up all the way, but he like wears a tie to the office and stuff. Um, and he's got like pictures of eighties uh, business people <laughs> up, in, up in his. Uh, 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 what's uh, hang on? What's office. what's been resolved by this future? Is there any is there any like positive quality that's been like held in place? Yeah, yeah. So like, I think everyone just got really chill. And that right. meant that crime doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> everyone started vaping. <laughs> Everyone. Well, I I think there are a bunch of apocalypses. Um, let, let's see. Okay, so like after Trump and maybe maybe it was like a big cultural movement. Like they just decided after um, like post Trump and like the ensuing fallout, everyone realized that just being. Uh, like the culture sort of decided that partisanship or like caring very deeply about basically anything was um the root of all evil because only through ah. only through giving it only through like giving a massive shit would you like commit violent acts in order to right um... so everyone's like just way more mellow but also in a slightly depressed sort of way no one stands for anything N- well, yeah, kind of, but like that's the whole point. So they maybe, they're all maybe they're Twitter all happy, Twitter just but broke, it, but but it's a reaction to uh, ideology. It's a reaction against sort of ideological partisanship, and everyone's just like super mellow, and they don't really give a shit about anything. Right. I um, mean, maybe maybe Twitter just shut down, and everyone just went I'm like so. <laughs> it's like a huge weight on my shoulders. Um, maybe that that, that could be a joke. Is like I could <laughs> about Twitter. <laughs> It's like no, like Twitter still exists, but it's literally just an app that plays bird song. <laughs> it's it's one. It, there's one account, and it just goes <laughs> beep 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 beep. No, tw- Twitter is just um, joke accounts uh, written by fake bears. <laughs> it's a literal bird. <laughs> All right, so so wait, Kate McKinnon wakes up, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what does she do? She does she start wrecking shit? Oh, are you going to have that weird brainwashing plot? Yeah. Okay. All right. So because so... if I wouldn't have put that in, I would have taken that out. See, no, I, I, uh, I think. So, so the in the original movie, the plot is is that um, uh, Sir Humphrey from Yes Minister <laughs> is that him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's weird. It's, it's the only other thing I've ever seen him in other than Yes Minister. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, unfreezes Simon Phoenix in order that he can go and murder uh, sort of the last subversives. Yeah, it um, makes no sense to me. Like, what they're all living under underground, and they've like they've got guns, and these and the authorities in the above world just aren't equipped to deal with any form of violence. Like, well, just... but, but, but the whole point is that they're just the most extreme libertarians. Right? Like, <laughs> like, such like, pricks! Like, oh my god, whatever his name, Marvin Friendly. When or they, when they meet him, he's such. He's such a fuckboy. And they're asking yeah. about what his deal is. And he's like, I just want to fucking piss and swear and, and drive a big car and have a beer. And blah, blah, blah. And he just honestly sounds like one of these shitty YouTubers. He's the worst. I mean, my, my, favorite, my favorite line of his is when he goes, uh, I'm not a leader. I just do stuff. And sometimes people follow me. It's like the most <laughs> reverse <laughs> abdication of responsibility. You sad Although, man. 
It, I love that you describe him as a fuckboy because he is, and it reminds me of. Um, it actually reminds me of the Tick and how uh, what's the name Miss Lint's boyfriend in the Tick like um, is characterized so immediately and brilliantly by him coming in, coming on screen, first entrance on screen. He's wearing a T-shirt saying, "This is what a feminist." Is. <laughs> <laughs> and it's That's just the most. Guy brilliant immediate coding of fuckboy but, I, but I, I i find i find that that kind of like under underground society dynamic of the original is part of what doesn't work because if you look at something like total recall when you where you've got all these mutants living on mars and they're they're having they're they're, they're having explicit the, the explicit lack of resources is coming into into the power play like they're 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 not getting what they need to be like regular colonists and they're like all fucked up and they don't get the air they need and the the bad guy could just turn off their oxygen whenever like there's an explicit power dynamic there but like here you've just got all these people living underground eating rats and shit and they occasionally come up to steal food from a pizza hut (laughs) it's just like what is what is this this noble cause they're living for here yeah, I well, well the, again, it's like ridiculous libertarianism because, <laughs> because no, but because um, again, again, like I, this is why I thought Demolition Man was an '80s movie because, mm. like, it's all about like individual liberty, and I think well, I think the writers of Demolition Man thought that their world was like genuinely horrifying dystopia, but. but I don't it's know. You watch so it now, and you're like, "This doesn't seem stupid. too bad." <laughs> but like, oh, come on. no, I mean, it, it 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 is, but it's just so ludicrous. I just love that... the, the the Rob Schneider line where he's like, "We're police officers. We're not equipped to deal with this kind of violence." Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> but but like, there, there's there's elements. It's, wait, it's wait, weird. Can it becomes. Can you see why I think um, the writers thought that line was sort of indicative of? Uh, how oh how far the society has fallen. Well, whereas now we're just watching it and going, that is a really funny joke. Well, you know, that's a good point. Yeah, like a lot of sci-fi is is designed to reflect upon the contemporary moment in which it's it's written, and because mm-hmm. Demolition Man has aged now, it's just like funny at this stage. Mm-hmm. It doesn't it doesn't satirize or reflect on much at all, and like the, the, what's weird about the film is that at the end it becomes this weird centrist thing. Where, like, the bad guy's dead and Sylvester Stallone's saying to this, like, leader of this uprising movement and then the head the head of police is just like, maybe you'll find, like, a nice uh, medium in between. And that's, like, that's a revolution. I'm like, no, you've, like, caused, like, a years-long civil war at the least. No, 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 no. no I, I, I think it's just nice. Like, They're it, all just happy. They're all just like, yeah, we'll, like, eat some burgers and also clean up graffiti. Well, no, because I, I, the whole point is just it's it's restoring to the American normality, right? It's like not too much control. But I mean, also, yeah, I mean, Sylvester Stallone's got to keep living in this world. Individualistic dicks the whole time. But anyway, back back to my back to your case. version, your Michelle Rodriguez one. Yeah, back to my Michelle Rodriguez one. So, um, you know what? I think, yeah, does it does it really need there to be a conspiracy? I mean, I guess if there's going to be a plot to the movie <laughs> you know just making um, those two fighting yeah i i i have a sort of i mean part of me just wants to make it so the judd apatow verse is so incompetent that they just let kate mckinnon out <laughs> but i don't think she asked nicely i don't know maybe maybe there's like a a, a nut job um 
in the uh maybe maybe the problem maybe the thing is that actually maybe maybe uh in my version like the head of uh apatow police uh is that <laughs> i thought i'm just gonna call everything apatow, apatow yeah like, apatow whatever <laughs> yeah um i the head of the apatow police um uh is he he's sort of been really into uh he or she has been very into this idea uh, has been is sick of this future is sick of the future where no oh, right. one where is sick of a future free of conflict so they create a demon in order to in order that they can be the hero i guess ah um, so it's like an orchestrated thing yeah exactly exactly but then they sort of end up yeah, yeah, okay. It, it, so it's almost like a, a an incredible style thing, where yeah, the the policeman, uh, chief of police, lets loose this villain as like a PR stint, as like a PR stint to basically so that they can have a victory effectively yeah. because they just don't do anything. There's no fight. There's ah, no challenge to but anything. Then it really. gets out of their hands. Yeah. Because if anyone wants anything, the other person's just like, "Oh, it's okay, man. Yeah, all right. Let's just do it." <laughs> and and then, and and everything's over. Um, so they want like a conflict, and uh, and I guess like Michelle Rodriguez, but like uh, Seth Rogen unfreezes Michelle Rodriguez, and then the conflict becomes between sort of the police captain has to on the outside. Uh, make out that they're very happy that Michelle Rodriguez is around to like take care of business, but on the inside they're fuming because they wanted to. Yeah. Uh, oh, it becomes they... like a race between this this evil police captain and Michelle Rodriguez to take down Kate McKinnon. Yeah, basically. Cool. And yeah, and I think that would be the movie. That that would be the movie. It would be this this sort of uh, this conflict between them and then Michelle Rodriguez is trying to uh, hunt down and take care of Kate McKinnon while at the same time what's like, Kate McKinnon doing just whatever she likes the... yeah I, th- I think doing whatever she likes I don't know maybe she's um well because okay so uh, well, hang on here we go in the no no wait Pete in the Apatow verse every... you can just get whatever you want by just being really forceful so Kate McKinnon is just assembling I don't know um, she's using her powers of giving a shit to, <laughs> uh, I don't know, uh, um, as, as I, I, I don't know, assemble like an evil team, and she just wants to take over the world. Or yeah, because I was gonna say in this in this version, are the police also just really impotent? Like they don't yes. have any like lethal force or or any means of taking you down. So could she just be like, yeah, this world it's it's, it's mine now? Yeah, basically. All right. I like There's that. no crime there's uh well the the only the only crime is sort of uh harshing people's buzz so the police are the police don't necessarily enforce laws what they do is that they're called in in like really harsh situations and they're like professional mellowers like they really mellow right (laughs) They're, they're like they're like the really fun guys at a party. Basically, it's like it's like all the fun guys at a party, and they are. Uh, di- oh, I can't be mad at you. To... Yeah, like calm down, dude. You know everything's okay. You know, <laughs> so they're like professional, almost negotiators. All right. Um, are you going to address the sexual element? Because that's one of the weirdest things I find about the original. 
is the idea that no one has sex anymore and they choose these weird like trippy vr helmets i think everyone in the in my future would be too lazy to have sex oh like it's too much of like a physical athletic undertaking yeah something <gasps> like that wait like it's like the vr porn industry just like booming it's like fucking hollywood yeah it's just the yeah. biggest thing <laughs> yes. so it's it's not that they're like icked out by bodies yeah it's that the it, like, it's, it's, that it's a lot of just, effort yeah it's just that sex is a lot of effort and, and no one can be bothered with it i mean what, it's, what what's weird about the original and is... i i want to i want a one of my one of my things is that i wanted um uh michelle rodriguez to be the kind of woman who just like grabs men out of a bar and just like fuck well, you, fuck it you're coming home with me well, well, like, and I want I want I kind of want her to I don't know if I want her to do that to Seth Rogen because that's like let's make Michelle decisions on her part. better but think number thing they'll is just be, they'll just be a hot cop in, be a hot cop in the Apatow form but then you have to avoid what the original does in that like you end up opening up for this really strange form of sexual assault in terms of like like at the end yeah, when, when Stallone really just straight up like kisses um Sandra Bullock like yeah that's like a that's like a way you end a, a film a lot of the time but like even on its own even someone who likes kissing that's like a bit dodged to just do that on on the cuff but for someone who's like literally never physically done it and is grossed out by bodily ex- like fluid exchange that's like totally sexual assault what you're doing but then, but then, luckily, the, yeah, fil- the it, film it like really backs it up. Is. The film just backs it up, and, and she's like, "Oh, I actually like that." And then they're all good. They're just gonna go off and have probably the worst sex any fictional character has any ha- ever had. I mean, I, I my favorite, um, so sort of like Stallone's response uh, when uh, she reveals that uh, kissing is outlawed in the future. Is that? Oh, I was a good kisser. Yeah, no, that's such a bad line. (laughs) I just can't get over how how bloody terrible the sex at the end of that film they're gonna have. They're gonna have. It's It's like she's she's never done it before, and he's Sylvester Stallone. Like it must be really bad. Also, I I don't guess because because I keep saying that Dungeon Man is like it's basically Dadlishan Man. And <laughs> the problem there is that Samantha Bullock, S- Sandra in Bullock. her sort of wide-eyed innocence, is in a sort of childlike status. And if you think like, if you're feeling like uh, that, that Sylvester Stallone is just the ultimate dad, their relationship gets even creepier. Oh, I never considered it that way. I always, I, 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 one thing I do like is that they, they do give her like quite a bit of personality, and that she likes the past. But she gets told about graffiti, and she's like, oh, brutal, like. She's got these these these, these interests. I think, like I don't think she's definitely not. She's probably the least wide-eyed and innocent person in that future. Yeah, I, that's true. And I think she has. Uh, um, I think their chemistry is very good. It's surprise. Actually, it's surprisingly good. Surprisingly you don't. You wouldn't pair Sandra Bullock and Sylvester Stallone often, would you? No, but they work really well together. It's one of the. Again, this is. This is like. Uh, oddly successful movies I've ever seen because that pairing, no one would have predicted that pairing would work, but it works really well. And I was actually very much taken in by their chemistry. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe Michelle Rodriguez and Seth Rogen. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe you'll just do it again. I'm trying to picture the marketing for your film with the, you know, Rodriguez versus Kate McKinnon. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, like, like I, I do. I would really love to like take it these places, just like see Kate McGillan murdering people and doing the stuff Wesley Snipes does. Yeah, I, I think that'd be funny. I think that'd be really cool. Um, Together, like just finding a so gun yeah, that's and just my being film. like, I'm. And I called it. I call it. Uh, I mean, I could call it Demolition Woman. I mean, uh, Demolition Mom is pretty good. No, but I, I don't want to. Uh, then it sounds uh, like this family comedy. Lady Demolition. <laughs> Sympathies for Lady Demolition. <laughs> what? It's not a revenge film. It's not like yeah, this operatic thing. Um, oh, fuck. I, I think I just realized what it is I want to challenge you. Oh, yeah? On. Anyway, but anyway, have you have you got any more uh, questions uh, for me, for my pitch? Um... Not really. I'm trying. I'm. I'm trying to think of, of how, like, how far along is technology here? Because it's actually quite funny in the in the in the original. Just the how how dated even their future is. Like those, they basically just have iPads, but yeah, just like that... really chunky shit, like tabletop ones. But in a way, it's surprisingly accurate. Like uh, the future they envision is one in which. Uh, people it's like the main technological advances are automated driving and yeah computers everywhere stuff is clean skype yeah and it turns out and we have all of that so actually the, the, those are those are those are some pretty good predictions for what the technological level yeah. of 2030 is going to be we've both done films and um, set in it 2030. turns out the future it turns out demolition man predicted the future really well really well Predicted President Schwarzenegger, I hope. <laughs> right. Um, so at the end of each show, we're going to pitch each other our, our challenges for next week. We're going to tell each other what, what we'll be working on. So you, I, I didn't tell you what the technology was, technology level was going to be like. Oh. But, but I, th- I think we just... I think uh, I'm just going to say, like, just imagine all stoner things, but all the stoner things are... <laughs> I just like maybe maybe they're all like I think there should be automated cars, but the cars are all really slow. The cars maybe, are maybe, actually maybe there's bombs. automated wheelie shoes. Everyone has like automated wheelie shoes, um, <laughs> Wait, but not even ones where you have to get in a cool walking position first. You just stand, yeah, upright. It's just like everyone's like kind of like on segways, but you can't even see the segways. Yeah, that'd be so uh, shit. There's like really high tech vapes. Um, there's, uh, no, vapes like are just part really, of your phone now. They've really mastered greenhouse technology. I don't know. So, some stuff like that. Uh, that's what I'm going to say. Like, uh, self-cleaning t-shirts. Oh, I'd love that. <laughs> right. So, Brody, do you want to hear what my uh, challenge for you is next week? Yeah, go for it. Right. So, uh, on some of these, we're going to do, we're going to do sequels. We're going to do reboots. We're going to also do prequels or, um, or just reimaginings. And things. So yeah. some of them, some of my pictures to you are going to be based on film franchises that haven't really fulfilled their potential yet, but do have some left. And that's what I'm going to give you a reboot. So your next challenge, I want you to reboot The Purge. Ooh. I want to see what okay. you do All right. Which, um, now, because there are about three, there may even be four Purge movies yeah, all, at this point. Yeah, they're all gone now. Good lord. Uh, okay, so you want me to just start off like start, from start, scratch? Yeah, start off fresh. Watch what, whichever what which, watch whichever one you want, 
but I want you to mm-hmm. uh, imagine that you've got a completely blank slate, and you're and doing the, completely and you are doing the, the premise all over again. All right. Okay. Well, on my end, I'm actually going to give you a sequel. Right. And it's a sequel that I I I just realized I can't quite believe doesn't exist already. Is that is what I'm saying with the Demolition Man remake? Only only this one would have like an actual reason behind it rather than it just being like cold Hollywood calculation. I want you to make me Incredibles 2. Oh, that's actually happening though, isn't it? I don't is it? Yeah. It's been I, announced. I, really? Yeah. Hold on, let me let me let me see. <laughs> just gonna look it up after hurry before it comes I'm actually, out. I'm actually gonna look it up. I'm gonna see if I oh, can Oh yeah, don't no. see if oh, I can yeah, like... no shit, it is coming up. Oh fuck, it's coming up in two thousand 18. 18. So I'm gonna lay. It's gonna be real tight. That, that's good actually. Let's see if mine is better. It won't, it won't be better. Maybe I can like hack Brad Bird's emails and just um, just leak him on the podcast. Okay. Yeah. I I think. Uh, ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay. I don't know. Do I wanna? Do I wanna pitch you this? If it's going to happen. Mm. I don't know if I want to pitch you a real sequel. This is the thing. Oh, like some, well, well, you never know. We're going to run into this, aren't we? Like some stuff, like everything. Here's my theory. Everything will get made. The universe is expanding into nothing. And bloody every conceivable uh, property will get a bunch of sequels and a bunch of reboots and a bunch of remakes. Like it is all going to happen. Okay, I, and, and to us, I want to hear what you do with Incredibles. So, right. yeah, Incredibles 2. Okay. Oh, okay, I'll get going on it. All right, yeah, get get, get busy. Yeah, man. get busy. Get busy, <laughs> so, as, as Syndrome says. I'm so good at this. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, thank you so much for listening to our pilot. And yeah, we I look forward to... Epi- a, I hope you had a good time. Yeah, to episode one with The Purge and The Incredibles 2. And... All right, so uh, all that remains is to say bye from me, Adam Brody. And me, Peter Flynn. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you for listening. Bye.